we're hardwired to worship something. And if we don't worship the living God, I guarantee you we're going to worship something. And whatever you choose to worship is going to be the deciding factor in what you become. Welcome to Life Talk with Dr. Jeff Wickwire, author and founding senior pastor of the exciting Turning Point Church in Fort Worth, Texas. Pastor Jeff is known for his heartfelt and practical proclamation of the scriptures. We are so glad you joined us today. So stay tuned as Pastor Jeff teaches, encourages, and challenges you from the Word of God. Taking a no-compromise stand for God may get you into some fiery situations, but God will deliver you in the end. Hi, and welcome to Life Talk. I'm Jeff Wickwire, and thanks for joining us this time. Today, we're continuing our series through the book of Daniel that I've called Courageous Living. You know, God never said that taking a stand for Him would be easy. As we're about to see in today's message, Daniel's three young friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, have refused to bow to an idolatrous image of King Nebuchadnezzar and are thrown into a burning, fiery furnace for their faith. But then a miracle took place that shook the kingdom of Babylon. Well, I don't want to give any more away, so grab your Bible and follow along as I share the message into the oven. Now, we're in chapter 3. Now, you do remember that Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego have been taken captive along with all of Judah in the land of Babylon. So they are captives. Daniel is writing from a place of captivity. Just like Paul often wrote from prison, Daniel's writing from a place of captivity, and the captivity is in Babylon. So there they are, and they're under a pagan king, and they're amongst a pagan people people that mocked them, ridiculed them, made fun of their faith, says, sing us a song of Zion when they didn't have any song left. So they're in a very, very tough time. Now, last time we looked at Nebuchadnezzar's first dream, which was given him by God. Let me ask you a question. Can God give a dream to somebody who doesn't know him at all? Come on, raise your hands if you know that's true. God can give anybody a dream. He gives this pagan king an amazingly prophetic dream. And nobody could interpret it but Daniel. All of his magicians and sorcerers and soothsayers and all these witchcraft people that were in his kingdom, none of them had a clue. But Daniel interpreted the dream and not only by doing so saved his own life and the life of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, but also the lives of all of these so-called wise men who were really occultists because before they were massacred, Daniel interpreted the dream. So he interpreted it, and it was of a huge, mysterious image, shaped like a man divided into four parts. A head of gold, its chest and arms were of silver, its thighs were of bronze or brass, and legs of iron with feet of part iron and part clay. Now, just as a little uh, recap, here's what it was. Daniel interpreted the dream to be of four empires, starting with the head of gold, which was the Babylon that he was living in under Nebuchadnezzar. He said, O king Nebuchadnezzar, you're the head of gold. Okay, then it went on. The chest and the arms of silver represented the Medo-Persian empire. 
and the Medo-Persian Empire uh, we looked at last time, Daniel lived to see it replace Babylon. How did Daniel know? How could he have possibly known that it would be the Medes and the Persians replacing the Babylonians? How could he have known that? We're talking about a total national kingdom shift. And he said, this is what's going to happen. The Medes and the Persians are going to take over Babylon. And he lived to see it happen. But then it went further. The thighs of bronze represented Greece, which replaced the Medes and the Persians under Alexander the Great. How many of you have ever heard of Alexander the Great? Come on. We've all heard of him, right? Do you know that he lived to be about 32 and died of alcoholism? Did you know that? And yet I want you to notice that God knew who was going to arise on the national scene before he was ever born. And he knew the kingdom he would lead. And though he died at about 32, he was able to conquer most of the world in that part of the world. He was an amazing military genius. Yet at 32, he died, liver disease and all kinds of things from alcoholism. How the mighty have fallen. So God saw that coming. He saw Greece coming, and the Greeks overcame the Medes and the Persians. But then there was another one. Finally, the legs of iron represented Rome, which conquered Greece and ruled the world. Rome was represented by the iron. And then he said, but I saw this image's feet of part iron and part clay. Now there is where he went way into the future, into our day. Because that represents the revived Roman Empire of the last days. Symbolized partly by iron, it will be a revival of the old Roman Empire, but it will be mixed with other cultures represented by the clay. And I've shared with you when we're going through the Revelation, I think it's very possible the European Union is the revived Roman Empire. And what do you see when you look at the European Union? You see a revived Rome, but also mixed in with many other cultures. And that would be the feet of iron and clay. So here's this amazing dream given to a totally pagan, godless king that began in his day and reached 2,600 years all the way to the return of Christ, if you'll remember, represented by the rock that was cut out of the side of a mountain that King Nebuchadnezzar dreamed about. He saw, I saw a rock cut out of the side of a mountain, yet not by human hands. Human hands didn't cut that rock out of the side of the mountain. Well, that leaves only one other set of hands that could do it, God. Now, you remember that Jesus is what? He's the chief cornerstone. He's likened unto a rock. The rock that Nebuchadnezzar dreamed about and Daniel interpreted and predicted was Jesus Christ raised up by God, not by human hands, and that his kingdom would crush all other kingdoms of the last day's world and that his kingdom would rule King of kings, Lord of lords, over all forever. So you got this dream that started with Babylon, went through the Medes and the Persians, went through the Greeks, went through the Romans, and then reached 2,600 years plus down into future, into the future, down into our day, all the way to the return of Christ. Now that's what I call a dream, a prophetic dream. So what I want us to see, church, as we go through Daniel here, is that God is the God of the nations. He puts down one and raises up another. 
He knew America was coming before it came. He knew that there would be a China. He knew there would be a Russia. He knew that there would be a Singapore and a North Korea and a South Korea and an Israel. He knew all these things. And he was able through Daniel and through this dream to predict four kingdoms that would come, one right after the other, and reach all the way down into our day. And so do we not serve an amazing God? I said, do we not serve an amazing God? All right? He's a God of the future. So if he knows all of this, he knows all about you and me. Amen? Now, chapter 3 provides another biographical sketch of how the four young Hebrew men, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, refused to bow to the pressure of pagan Babylon to assimilate into its ways of thinking and living and their refusal to bow to its idols. Now, I've told you since the first week, I believe that this is the lesson. These first six chapters are all about how these four young men stood against a pagan culture and refused to assimilate and refused to be indoctrinated and refused to compromise their beliefs and their values. And even though they were in the tiny minority and because they stood with God and didn't try to be popular but stayed with God instead of being accepted, they stood with God. God promoted them and use them in miraculous ways, so much so that we're studying about them tonight. Amen. And I think that's the challenge of our day. I think right now the church is challenged in the same way they were, to bow to the culture and to its ways of thinking and doing. And if you don't, you get into trouble. So let's just look at that tonight. Um, they refuse to bow to the idols. They refuse to bow to the values of Babylon. Now, Nebuchadnezzar the king decides in chapter 3 that he is so amazing, so wonderful, so incredible, so unprecedented that everybody in the kingdom should literally worship him. So he erects an image to himself. Let's read about it in the first five verses. Nebuchadnezzar the king made an image of gold and whose height was 60 cubits and its width 6 cubits. To make sense of that, it's 90 feet high, 10 feet wide. He set it up in the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. And it says in verse 2, King Nebuchadnezzar sent word to gather together the satraps, the administrators, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the judges, and the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image which King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. So we're going to have a great big party surrounding the image, this idolatrous image of a man. Now, so the satraps, administrators, governors, counselors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, all the who's who's, all the officials of the provinces gathered together for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up, looking way up there. Let's just draw this analogy, big text. Remember big text? You ever just stood there and looked up at big text? How many of you have never done that? Well, I need to pray for you at the end of the service. I'm going to anoint you come fall to go and stand in front of Big Tex. Anybody in Texas has got to do it at least one time. Not to worship Big Tex, but to experience this giant. So think of that. They're all standing looking up at this idolatrous image made in the image of Nebuchadnezzar, made in the likeness of him. And they stood before the image that he had set up, and then a herald cried aloud. And look what he said. To you it is commanded. Everybody say commanded. So this is not an option. 
This is not for you to decide whether or not you want to do it. It is a decree. It is a command that the peoples, nations, and languages, all of them, at the time you hear the sound of the horn, flute, harp, lyre, and psaltery, in symphony with all kinds of music, so music is being mixed in with this idolatry because music is powerful. All right? So here's music being mixed in with it. And he said, you shall fall down when you hear the music. You shall fall down. And do what, everybody? Read it with me. Worship the gold image that Nebuchadnezzar has set up. So what are they being commanded to do? They're being commanded to commit idolatry. They're being commanded to worship something other than Jehovah God. Commanded. Look what he says if you don't do it. Whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast immediately in the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. So how many of you can say the stakes are high? The stakes are high. If you don't bow down, you're going to be burned alive. Now that's pressure. And so the screw is being turned now. Now this king has gone into total idolatry. It's the greatest kingdom of the world. He's commanding hundreds of thousands of people to bow down to him, to an image of him, and if you are seen not bowing down, your fate is to be thrown into an oven. Now that's going to separate the men from the boys. Now, I try to pull out lessons from this chapter so we can make personal application of this. And here, here's the first lesson I see. Here, the lesson is that all pagan nations, all nations that either depart from God or never were dedicated to God, finally reached the place where they forced their citizens to bow down to and worship their idols. It's going to happen. You can mark it down. It's going to reach a place where you must go along with the crowd, and every nation, folks, worships something. We were wired to worship. We're hardwired to worship something. And if we don't worship the living God, I guarantee you we're going to worship something. And whatever you choose to worship is going to be the deciding factor in what you become. You are the result and will be the result of what you choose to worship. That's why the Bible says concerning idols, they that make them are like them. So it matters what we worship. Amen? So the Greeks worship the various mythological gods. You can go back to Greece and read about it. They worship Zeus, Apollo, Athena. I used to really love Hercules, and I was all into the Hercules thing as a kid. But that's just a myth. He's a myth. Samson was the real thing. But Zeus, Apollo, Athena, all these Greek mythological gods, they were worshipped in Greece. And, and if you didn't worship them, you were, at very best, you were out of place. You were ostracized. You were really weird if you did not worship these mythological gods. But then when Rome took over Greece, they just took the Greek pantheon of gods and made them into Roman gods. The same gods the Greeks worshipped, the Romans worshipped just under another name. And Rome had its own pantheon. And guess what? That's why many of the first century Christians were persecuted and even martyred because they turned the people away from the worship of these false gods including the worship of Caesar, 
to the worship of Jesus Christ. And that's what got them in trouble. They attacked the gods of the culture. Okay? In Acts 19, for instance, we've all read about it. We see an uproar of persecution in Ephesus against Paul and his companions for turning the people away from Diana, who was the goddess of sex, to the worship of Christ. And you remember, Paul and them were almost torn apart in the persecution that followed because they went against the idols. They went against the false gods, and they refused to embrace the gods of the culture. Now, I'm going somewhere with this, and it's going to matter to you and me, so stay with me. This really does matter. Now, if you jump down in time to the 20th century Germany, for instance, the worship of Hitler and utter submission to the Nazis was demanded at the cost of liberty and life. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, I'm not going to worship Hitler, and I'm not going to submit to Nazism, and he was martyred. And that's why we know about Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a Lutheran priest. He said, I'm not going to do it. He had the spirit of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, not the spirit of a compromising caver. All right? And now here we are in post-Christian America. How many of you are aware it's not Christian America anymore? Amen. Come on. So yes, it is, Jeff. We were founded on Christianity. Hey, our nation has so departed from the Christian faith that if you adhere to the Bible, embrace the Bible, and the values and principles therein, and you love the Lord Jesus Christ, and you're not a compromiser, but you are totally sold out, you tell me how you do out there in a crowded elevator when you say, I love Jesus. You tell me how you're accepted out there. Tell me how you're accepted in our current government. If you're a sold-out believer in Jesus Christ, you're looked at as a weirdo, you're looked at as stupid, you're looked at as uneducated. You're looked at as backward. And really, you're looked at now to be a target of persecution. Let me give you a for instance. Ten years ago, if you wanted to live a homosexual lifestyle, that was simply your choice. Go for it. Hey, if that's where you want to live, that's okay. It's not my life. Go live it. But now, it's become increasingly demanded, even legislated into law, that if non-homosexuals or those who believe it to be a sinful lifestyle don't agree with it, they can be fined, lose their livelihoods, or even jailed. A pastor or religious leader in England and increasingly in America can and are being jailed for hate speech if they speak against the homosexual lifestyle. Have you noticed? Hello, I hope you have. Because in our own nation, people have lost their jobs, have been fined so heavily for refusing to cater to that lifestyle that they had to sell their jobs or just have them liquidated because they no longer had their careers. In America, the land of the free and the home of the brave, now freedom of speech is being trumped by the so-called rights of the gay community that their lifestyle not be criticized. So the rights of the gay community to not be criticized is now trumping free speech in England and in America more and more and more. Do you see what's happening and why I'm going after this with Daniel? Because Daniel and his three buddies, there in a pagan kingdom, were told, bow down and worship this idol. And if you don't, you're going to lose your life. That's what happens in pagan kingdoms. 
And now look how America has shifted. I started preaching in America. This is really going to date me. But when I was 18 years old, over four decades ago, and I'm going to tell you that it's not the same America I started preaching in. I can't believe America has so changed, so been transformed, has so departed from the principles it was founded on in one generation. In one generation. We used to go on the streets and preach to anything and everything that moved. You would be made fun of and you would be mocked and ridiculed and put off. But there were no legal threats. There was no legislation against you doing it. There was no heavy hand literally telling you that if you call a particular lifestyle wrong or you preach in the name of Jesus that there is no other way to heaven but through Him that you would be legally come against to muffle you and shut you down and fine you and jail. We've had people in America be thrown in jail for taking a Bible stand. I can't believe it. I look around me and I can't believe it. I can't believe what has happened to our country. England is about 10 years ahead of us, maybe five, because it's worse there. But we're quickly coming up on them. And so why am I teaching things like Daniel? Because we've got to get the spirit of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in us. Preemptively. Amen? Preemptively. Now the real message behind all this is, in America for instance, you must bow down to the idol of sexual perversion. And you must bow down to the dictates of political correctness or face the consequences. Whatever the burning fiery oven is, whatever it happens to be, being fined, being jailed, being ostracized, losing your job, whatever the burning fiery oven is, it's a threat that if you stand for God, you're going to pay as a nation continually goes pagan because you must worship the gods they do or pay a price. And we can include in this the God of abortion, amen, the God of secularism, which refuses to acknowledge God. That's secularism. It refuses to acknowledge God. There's university campuses now that you cannot talk about Jesus. You cannot bring up your faith. If you do, you're going to be in major trouble in that university. Political correctness rules supreme. That's the God of our universities now. What an amazing miracle God wrought for His children in this instance. We walk away from this story with an incredible message on the influence a tiny minority of steadfast believers can have on an entire kingdom. Needless to say, when a minority of people stand up for God, they become a majority in their impact. Now don't go anywhere because we've got some exciting things to share with you, our Life Talk listeners, you're going to want to take advantage of. Until next time, I pray God's rich blessings be yours. Hi, this is Jeff Wickwire, the host of Life Talk Radio, and I've got some exciting news for you. It's been in my heart for quite some time to see our Turning Point worship team produce their own Christ-exalting music. And you know what? It's finally happened. Stand
TPC Worship's debut album, Mercy Triumphs, is available right now on iTunes and Amazon, or you can visit tpcfamily.org forward slash worship to get your copy today. That's tpcfamily.org forward slash worship and get your copy, and I know it's going to be a blessing to you. To the Oven is the third message of Pastor Jeff's series, Courageous Living. You can own a copy of this 13 CD set for just $65 plus shipping. Log on to lifetalkradio.us or call us toll free at 877-884-3111. Get your copy of today's message for just $5 or purchase the entire series, Courageous Living, for only $65 plus shipping. By logging on to LiveTalkRadio.us or calling us toll-free at 877-884-3111 for more information. You've been listening to Life Talk with Dr. Jeff Wickwire. To find out more about Dr. Wickwire's ministry and Turning Point Church, visit us at lifetalkradio.us or call us toll-free at 877-884-3111. That's 877-884-3111. And as a reminder, Life Talk is a listener-supported ministry. We exist to bring God's Word to thousands of people in your area on this great station. So your prayers and financial support go a long way in helping us with this endeavor. Please prayerfully consider helping us. Thanks again for listening today, and we look forward to meeting with you once again on our next Life Talk broadcast. Life Talk.